Hello and welcome back to the Quacked Out Podcast. I am Charlie, joined by Reed. Uh, Reed, I think your answer is going to be different than what it usually is. How are you feeling? Oh, man. Uh, just scattered, honestly. It feels really weird to be recording this right now. Uh, I think we all didn't really expect it until the last few days. Obviously, there'd been some rumblings, but it became very real uh, Sunday morning and, you know, was was pretty much confirmed uh, Monday morning. So, yeah. Yeah, we're talking, of course, about, yeah, if you've been living under a rock, Mario Cristobal is now Miami's head coach, no longer our head coach. We will um, dig into all of that, and we do want to focus on the timeline of how this happened a little bit, because I think there's a little bit of misunderstanding about that. Um, we are going to touch on Utah, because we haven't even talked about it since the last game, but very briefly, because I don't even think we want to talk about it that much. And obviously, there is many, much more pressing matters to attend to. Uh, we'll go down what this Oregon job really is at this point. Um some new hires possibly uh, we'll, we'll give kind of our list of names that we feel confident in um, and also maybe disparage some names that we don't think deserve to be on the list. Um, shoot. Anything else? Am I missing anything? I don't think so. I think you got it. Yep. So uh, I kind of want to start with something you asked me before we started recording of just what kind of the general vibe is in Eugene right now. And uh to be honest, this is I've seen a lot of gloomy days in this city, being in school here for my fourth year now. Um, there have been none gloomier than this one. Uh, between the weather, which like the sun didn't really come up today at all. Uh, it's been pretty much pouring all day, and now it's not, but it's um, pretty much dark out by the time we're recording this. Uh, it's the worst time to have finals week. I'll just put it bluntly. Um if, if that wasn't disastrous enough for a lot of the student body, uh, the ones who care about football are pretty much devastated at this point, including me, of course. Um, it's gutting, man. It, it does, in a lot of ways, feel like the, the Taggart loss um, of a head coach. Obviously, that has felt a lot better in recent years because of how fraudulent he's turned out to be as a head coach. But um, we will talk about why... This is different than that, obviously. Um, Cristobal is leaving the program in a lot better state than Taggart did. And, I mean, I'm not going to lay out all my reasons right here, but it is substantially different from that one. So let's yeah. get into this thing. Um, very, very quickly, let's touch on this loss to Utah. We'll get that out of the way. Uh, yeah, it's embarrassing. Uh, it, it's embarrassing. Like, I think it's my takeaway from it was just that Utah's the better team and they are a disastrous matchup for the personnel that Oregon had on this team still has I'm acting like the season is over. It's not, uh, for our efforts, the ducks will get, uh, Oklahoma and Alamo bowl. I think that's a great matchup for a lot of different reasons, but again, we're not really going to get into that right now. Um, Utah though, they deserve this. They were the best team in the PAC 12 at the end of the season. They get their Rose Bowl trip. That's really great for them. You know, maybe there's a shot that they upset Ohio State with all the presumed opt-outs that the Buckeyes might have. But um, overall, you know, just respect to them. Yeah, ditto to that. Uh, they they played an awesome game. And 
Yeah, I mean, respect to them overall. We've we've had both Greg and Avery on there. I know that the Rose Bowl trip means a lot to to them and to Utah fans as a whole. Um, and it's a cool moment that you know they for that fan base finally after getting you know into a Power Five conference, they now get to say that they won it and they get to go to the Rose Bowl. And now they're kind of I think officially you know full on Pac-12 members. Um, not that they haven't had good teams before, but it, it certainly means something different to have them be at the top of the conference officially. Yeah, it's validating for sure. Um, and I think in a way, something that nobody's really talking about is it justifies their inclusion in this conference. Um, again, like you said, they've had good teams, but it's not like they had really had any truly dominant teams. Um, right. Or at least, well, obviously none capable of winning the conference up to this point. So, uh, Great for them. Maybe their window is closing with Riley at USC. We'll, I mean, we touched on that uh, when that hire was made. But, um, yeah, man, uh, another thing you have written down here, like it's a, it's a bit of a smaller thing, but probably Thibodeau's last game, safe to assume. Uh, maybe he plays in the Alamo Bowl, maybe not. I don't know, really know what expectations need to be set there. Do you think there's other guys who are maybe thinking about that as, that as well, like opting out? Yeah, I don't, I'm not sure exactly, um, but there, yeah, I don't, I don't know how this, this news has affected any of that stuff. I mean, we know the names like Mikhail Wright, you know, Devin Williams could leave, um, a few others. So maybe those guys want to leave, maybe a new head coach comes in and, and just wants to play the young guys anyways, just to get film. I don't, it's kind of too early to speculate on that, but I think in general, kind of, we're thinking that, you know, once we get into the off season a bit and, and NFL decisions are made and we kind of know the deal, we'll have an episode here that's, that's focused on all the guys that are leaving and just kind of, you know, a thank you to them and, and memories of, you know, big plays they had big moments and, and those careers and kind of, you know, what they accomplished in their time here. So we'll kind of deal with that stuff later, but obviously KT is yeah. a huge name, one of the biggest in, in program history. So it's worth mentioning that, you know, might've been his last time in a, in an Oregon uniform. Another thing to mention, just so we can get it out of the way, playoff field is set. Bama playing Cincy in Dallas and then Georgia playing Michigan in Miami. Um, for all the talk that's been had about parody in college football and whatnot, like I think our takeaways can be, you know, good for Cincinnati. Like I think we can both agree that's a good thing for the sport that they got in. Um, I don't know, maybe you feel differently about that, but, uh, no, I agree. Yeah. If we see an, if we see another Georgia Bama title game, would that be disappointing? You know, I, I just think that they're the two best programs. So, uh, I, I mean, Michigan has a chance and maybe since he can make it interesting too, we'll, we'll see how it goes. But, um, you know, if they get there, it's just at a certain point, what can you do to organize a sport? you know, is the goal really just to achieve an outcome that overrides who the best teams are? Cause I think those are the two best programs. So in that regard, it's tough for me to be too upset for them being in the national title game. Yeah. 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 Um, all right, let's just get into this, man. Uh, <laughs> we let's cut to the chase here. We both did. Uh, we hosted a Twitter space last night that was really solid. Um, this was, of course, before the news was official, but pretty widely speculated. 
um that was that was really nice actually it was my first experience really doing a twitter spaces um we had qb11 in there a lot of uh current players parents and things like that we had troy franklin's dad by cardwell's dad in there giving their thoughts some miami guys as well mixing it in um and just other duck fans that was really nice to see um it just kind of reinforced that this is a community and like i liked everything i heard from those guys and i've liked everything i've heard from cristobal but reed do you just want to kind of jump into this timeline and sort of outline how this went down yeah yeah i can do that for sure um I think the elephant in the room is, I forget how much we address these rumors on the podcast, but in general, and I think amongst any fans who are paying attention, two weeks ago, it, it didn't feel like we were that worried about this stuff at all. Um, mm-hmm. There are starting to be some slight rumblings from Miami, but but we didn't really know. Uh, looking back on it, though, I think it's it's pretty clear, you know, what, what happened was Miami got their shit together, really. Um, they had a bunch of money come in uh, to their health program, I guess. And then also the big thing was their, you know, two or three billionaire boosters really wanted Mario to be the guy. And they kind of, it sounds like, went to the athletic department there and said, we're willing to pay for whatever it takes if if you hire Cristobal and we're going to support him um, with, you know, build out the support staff and the program around him. Uh, but if it's not Cristobal, then there goes our checks essentially. And that created mm-hmm. a lot of, um, pressure on the Miami athletic department to move on Cristobal. Uh, and ultimately I think a lesson we learned is however much you think that your coach loves your program or whatever it is. Uh, and we'll talk about that more with Mario. Cause I, personally, I'm not, you know, I don't hate him for this move. Uh, and I'll, I'll root for him probably. Um, but I think you just never know until the call actually comes. Uh, and mm-hmm. honestly, I think for Mario, I, my impression is I think he's so process oriented and was pretty dialed in, you know, to Oregon. Um, maybe that was less so in the past few weeks. We don't totally know his involvement. Obviously, his agent, you know, was having conversations during that time period. But overall, I think he just it gets so drilled into his work. Um, and I truly do believe that, you know, he started to, this wasn't a long-term plan, but that when the offer came and he realized how much it was coming together and, you know, he had his, his home and his program where he played saying, we're willing to support you. We're willing to put it all together, um, and give you this big offer, uh, he just couldn't turn it down. And if we're all being honest, you know, as supporters of the Oregon program, I think we could say, you know, if you're, if you were in the same situation, um, whether you're a coach or whatever, you know, and, and it's Oregon is calling and you have a chance to come to Oregon and bring them a national title. That's ultimately where, you know, your loyalties probably lie. If you're listening to this program, uh, however much you like your, your other job. So, I can't fault him too much for that. Um, from the Oregon side, I think, uh, you know, Kenzano did some some really interesting reporting on this late Sunday night. Um, he put out a, a piece about the relationship between Phil Knight and Cristobal, um, basically detailing how, you know, Oregon put out, I think it was a 10-year, $85 million extension on the table um, mm-hmm. earlier this week heading into the conference championship game. 
and Cristobal waited to sign it, uh, and Phil was not happy with that. Um, and Canzano, you know, sourced a statement that basically the offer, extension offer, was pulled from Oregon. Um, and we don't know exactly, you know, how much, whether that's a formality that he was basically already out the door when that happened or whether Mm -hmm. that changed the negotiation. But regardless, I think it, it felt to me like at the end of the day, I don't think Oregon could have done that much to keep Cristobal, um, because it seemed like Miami was, was willing to pay whatever it was, um, and I think on the Oregon side, ultimately, the powers that be, uh, Mullins, you know, the AD and, and those folks felt like, uh, despite all the success that Cristobal had had here, they weren't completely sold, maybe, um, that he was worth every investment possible, I guess. Um, and that's okay, because they made a lot of investment towards him. Uh, and it seems like that extension offer was was pretty lucrative and and one of the bigger deals, probably you know unquestionably the biggest deal Oregon would have ever um, put out there if it's true mm-hmm. as it was reported. So it is what it is. Ultimately, uh, I think it sucks. It sucks that this program's now in limbo um, and we're just kind of waiting around and hoping that this thing comes together. Uh, and it's time to recalibrate expectations and stuff. But, um, yeah, that's that's pretty much my sense of the timeline on this. And, and some people have a different feel on exactly how far back it went. And, there, you know, there's some tea leaves here and there that upset some people more than others. But overall, I feel like it's pretty much impossible to do this thing the right way in college football, especially with the way the calendar is set up right now with early signing day and all of that. And I do believe that Chris Ball tried his best um, to sort it out, you know, in a really awkward position where he's literally, because of the calendar, again, forced to be in recruits' houses on Saturday and early Sunday. Mm-hmm. And then he flies back, and I, it seems like he made a decision officially Sunday night, was probably leaning towards that way. We don't know exactly. And and Monday morning, um, you know, announced and and in a players only meeting, uh, early Monday. Um, and it seems like, you know, the other interesting thing with reporting was all the Miami people and national people even were, were really hesitant to put the final nail in this thing until the end. And I think that showed the work that Cristobal's agent and and his insistence behind the scene that he didn't want an official final report sourced out there until he had the player meeting. And even though speculation got really loud and it was a tough, two days for everyone i'm sure no one more so than the players and recruits uh he you know ultimately was able to tell the players at least uh before it was totally you know official i guess yeah and i mean there are a lot of people trashing mario for this like i said we'll get into why it's different from the taggart thing in a little bit but um i'm not like you i'm not faulting him for any of this i mean the fact that he even showed up for an interview with uh Kanzano today on Kanzano's podcast was a big mm-hmm. deal I guess it's a radio show whatever um you know even a 10 minute interview like yeah of course he's not going to be able to answer questions like could have could Oregon have done more with an extension like that that's not his job he's playing his cards right he knows he doesn't have to talk about that um but it is you know it's disappointing but I'm not gonna hate on Mario for this like I'm not gonna trash the guy for it um 
he left for again his dream job and it's a really tough pill to swallow to acknowledge that but i mean how do you think oklahoma feels right how do you think notre dame feels like there we've seen in this own in this coaching cycle in the last like two weeks we've seen much worse scenarios in terms of leaving a program than this um mario's leaving this program in a really good place we'll talk about that in a second too but i want to emphasize that like this is how the business of the sport works. Like it's a slap in the face sometimes. And with a lot of more casual fans, it always, you know, seems like a complete shock and like utter, uh, they're in utter dismay that someone would willingly leave Oregon. But at the end of the day, I mean, Oregon has not proven yet that it can win a national title. And I mean, maybe you want to pick and get choosy there and get specific like we were right there in 2011 you know we were almost there in 2014 like okay sure but we didn't do it and i it it's hard for me to not think back to those granular moments especially in that uh, 2010 i get 2011 game against auburn where if we make it over that hump what kind of doors does that open for you 10 years down the road literally um yeah or almost 11 years down the road now like Maybe Cristobal views that job differently. Maybe we wouldn't even have Cristobal at that point um, if that was something that had happened for the Ducks. But um, again, it is it is a tough pill to swallow. And something that uh, Cristobal said on the show with Canzano that I really, really appreciated was like, look, he's not expecting people to understand. Like, he's okay with people being angry at him. He's okay with, like, people not being in, you know, totally getting it. Uh, and I mean we are too right like we yeah. <laughs> again yeah we're frustrated we get it because we are super super um dialed into everything that's happening in college football and this isn't that crazy in terms of like you know a lot of people saw this one coming um whether they actually knew it or not is a different story but you know they can pat themselves on the back and say they knew it the whole time sure um but my point being like this sucks, but it doesn't mean that we can't continue building what Mario has already started. Uh, there are people out there who can continue this upward trend that we're most certainly on. Maybe Mario was the best person to do it. Shoot, maybe he ends up, you know, maybe the same uh, mistakes that he made at Oregon will end up costing him more at Miami. Um, right. We'll just never know. And that's, again, it's okay to not know. It's okay to it's okay to have a take and everything too. Like it's okay to say one thing or another, but just know that, I mean, the people being taken seriously are not going to hate on him for something like this. This is just the nature of the industry. It is what it is. Yeah. And um, I think it, it's worth noting, you know, for people who didn't go listen to the, to the interview he did with Kenzano, I, I really would urge you to do that. Um, and I know, you know, obviously people are going to have hard feelings. And like you said, I'm not here to scold you for that. Um, but it did say a lot to me, you know, in a day where he's literally moving across the country. Um, and I'm sure he's, you know, every precious second he has to call another recruit and, and try to put his new class or staff together with early signing day coming forward for him um, is precious. So, you know, for him to take 10 minutes out and, and go on a, on a show um, with Kanzano and I think Kanzano said it really well there, you know, Cristobal didn't come on that show to talk to John Canzano about it. He came on it to talk to all the fans about it, you know, and just mm -hmm. to say goodbye to them and say thanks for his time um, there. And, you know, 
that said a lot to me about uh you know the fact that i think chris ball truly did really love being a duck for the time that he was here um and he was super you know he said this is from a, a feldman article but he said i can't say enough about how awesome oregon is they invested in me and they invest in the program we worked hand in hand and i get got the best mentors that i've ever had in phil knight and rob mullins winning a rose bowl is hard um you know and and he just he was pretty glowing about the community at oregon and the support there uh and what's set up for whoever is going to take over for him uh and i also think he was he was i you know i don't know exactly what was said in the players meeting but it felt like um you know from little things that leaked out here and there that he pretty much said to those guys you know everything that you want to accomplish is still in place at oregon uh, and it's still a place that you can have a lot of success. And I think he said that to some key recruits as well. Um, and just kind of, you know, he could have done a, a Lincoln Riley type thing where it's like, you know, I'm, I'm trying to recruit every one of these guys at the program out the door and really kind of tear out the entire studs of Oklahoma, um, like Lincoln Riley did. And, and it, it's not my impression that Mario Cristobal is, is, you know, texting Ty Thompson two minutes after he walks out of the room, like, Hey, come, <laughs> you know, come to Miami with me or whatever. It, it seems like he's pretty much like, I, I love what I built here. I wish it the best. These guys are a family and they, I hope they do their thing at Oregon and, you know, he's going to go do his thing at Miami and build that up on his own, not try to jumpstart it by kind of rummaging through, what was already at at Oregon. Uh and we've yeah. seen a bunch of positive stuff from players, you know, not not all positive, but um a lot of people tweeting out, you know, stay the course, trust the process, all that stuff. So it's been a tough day for the Oregon family definitely, but um I feel like we're gonna bow through it. I feel like it uh it's nice to know there's there's some stability and to hear, you know, from from recruits and, uh, and from players and from their parents and, and feel like, you know, it, this program isn't just one person, obviously. Mm -hmm. Uh, with the upshot, I think of what we're trying to say, uh, with these last two comments is like, it's never easy to be broken up with. No one is going to fault you for feeling bad when you get broken up with. Right. Um, but then, you know, you wait a week, a month, a year, whatever, you go through life and you kind of realize, oh, that person may have let me down like a little bit easier than it felt at the time. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's that's kind of what this is, especially if you look around the country and again, see how guys like Kelly and Riley have reacted to this sort of thing. The last uh, little bit I want to bring back um, is this contract. So 10 years, 85 is a lot of money. No one is, I mean, it's it's yeah, hard to turn you're that talking turn about down the that extension kind of offer from Oregon or are you talking about that? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was offered to him by Mullins. Um and something QB eleven said in our spaces last night had me thinking about it a little bit. Uh he said Oregon operates like a moneyball program when it comes to this type of thing. Um if Phil and you know, if Phil names his number, um, like they're you know, they're gonna stick to their numbers. Like they were not going to as weird as this says, as weird as this sounds to say, because again, 85 is a lot of money. Like they were not going to go past their limit for Mario. Yeah. And I do kind of respect that from them. And yeah, maybe it was pulled off the table as Gonzano reported 
when he didn't sign it. Do you have any um, maybe reservations or like worries about, I mean, that's, that's got a little bit of small program energy, doesn't it? About like, oh, if you're not, you know, if you really think you're too good for us, then like, we'll let you go type of thing. Yeah, I think. Is, is that a concern at all? I think it's kind of, you know, left hanging as we sit here right now, because it's, it's gonna, I'm going to judge that decision off of who they're able to go out and get. Um, and the early kind of reports are that, you know, obviously this was going on and the extension talks and, and however they went, um, you know, and, and also just the job of an athletic director in general, you have to be always be, you know, laying the framework for the next coaching search and scouting potential options and stuff. Uh, and heightened when when you're probably aware that your coach is being courted somewhere else so hopefully you know that was an educated decision um to let cristobal go or or to hold back at a certain number because they felt like there were other guys out there um and we've had discussions about cristobal on here before you know and i'll admit i i've been apologetic for cristobal because I was scared of a day like this pretty much um, where, you know, whatever the faults of Cristobal were or weren't uh, sitting here and not having a head coach and, and not, there are some good names out there and we'll get into them, but you know, it only takes two or three people to say no before you kind of are picking through uh, some unproven options to say the least. And, and in general, mm -hmm. you know, another point, and this applies to Cristobal's time at Miami is, Coaching hires are, are tough to really, um, it's a crap shoot. To, yeah, it's crapshoot. Exactly. It's tough to predict what will happen. And honestly, the best way to, to illustrate this is, is to go to the program that we're all most intimately familiar with Oregon. Um, so I'll, I'll point out two examples here, Oregon, uh, 2018 game with Washington. Kayvon Thibodeau is in attendance. We talk about this all the time. Everyone knows how important Kayvon Thibodeau is. If you lose that game, he probably doesn't come to Oregon, right? Uh, and mm -hmm. that, that win in 2018 against Washington in overtime, I think did a huge, huge job of kind of setting the momentum for the Cristobal era um, and starting the buzz and, and that fueled recruiting. You get KT, all of that stuff. Um, and, it, you know, I'm sure that, that – leading for KT and picking up momentum there helped a ton in that 2019 class, which proved to be an, an important class for Oregon. Um, so that's a big game. Another one, you know, the Utah game conference championship game in Mario's second year, if that game goes differently, um, Oregon comes out flat, whatever happens, you know, and Oregon doesn't get to a Rose bowl that season's looked at a lot differently and the recruiting momentum after it is way different. And the 2021 class is probably a lot harder to bring together. So these little moments and bounces, the balls have to go right early in a program's development to kind of build the, the right momentum. Um, and it so happened that, you know, with Oregon and Cristobal, a lot of those things went, went right. And yes, obviously there were big goals ahead and improvements to make. But it seemed like the really, you know, rough sailing in part was a little bit behind them. And, and especially I thought that with what the 22 class was and, and the roster that a good OC hire, you know, we were a good OC hire away from kind of plugging this thing in and going into 
real playoff contender mode in, in 22 and 2023, but it is what it is. Um, and now it's, you know, I think the good news is when you look at Cristobal and you look at, you know, what the Cristobal era was, um, ultimately he left it better than he found it. Right. Uh, this roster is a ton better than it was back in 2017. It's, I mean, it really is a recipe for someone to go in here, uh, and kind of light, light the matchbox on fire. Um, and really kind of explode out of the gate and be really impressive. And it'll be kind of funny because I'm sure it'll just feed into the narrative that Cristobal was a bad coach uh, in game, uh, which isn't, you know, completely, (laughs) completely baseless either. Um, But yeah, there's, there's good potential with this roster. Definitely. If it can stay together. Um, I'll I'll also just say in general too, in terms of, you know, legacy and accomplishments, it's like, okay, what, you know, say the worst of the worst happens and it's a bad hire, whatever, and this program takes a nosedive and it's down for however long. And of course, this is super dark stuff, but ultimately, this is why you cherish Rose Bowls and successful yeah. seasons. <laughs> and it's like, you know, if, if I'm 50 years old and the Oregon program is you know a perennial seven and five or eight and four team again this is dark but you know whatever it is it's like hey i will i'll remember that 2019 team going to a rose bowl and seeing justin herbert rush for three touchdowns against wisconsin and it's like we have you know three of those it's like do you have the 2012 2015 and uh 2020 rose bowls that you always can go back and watch those and those are like real accomplishments that you get to hold on to that people can't take away from you um Mm -hmm. so how you know however this goes i think that that's a real accomplishment and success um no you know chris wall wasn't isn't better than chip kelly or something but he did some things here that were that were really good and especially that 2019 season is is a bright spot um not only in his tenure but really in the entire history of this program uh it's it's one of those seasons that i'll always think of very fondly Definitely. And I mean, again, the overall arc of Cristobal, like, came here with the Helfrich 4-8 and eight season, like, struggled. <laughs> we had some struggles under Willie, but we felt like we were going in the right direction with Willie. This is a different level. I, I feel much more confident in this athletic department than I did back in 2017, the end mm-hmm. of it, before that Las Vegas Bowl, right? I mean, yeah, we were seven and five. Yeah, we had just beaten the brakes off the Beavers. Like we felt good about where we were gonna go, but it was an upward trajectory. We didn't think that we could. I mean, again, it was more like we are coming back from the grave. This is like okay, we need someone who can take this. We need a hire who can take this to the next level now. Um, and again. I'm sure listeners are familiar with this, but let's just go over the last few like coaches in Oregon history, right? Uh, Bilotti, was Bilotti a promotion in 1995 yeah. or did he? Yeah, he was a promotion um, at the end of the Brooks era uh, after that Rose Bowl, obviously. Kelly, again, OC, gets promoted to head coach in 2009. Four years later, he's in the NFL. Mark Helfrich comes through as the next OC. We know what happens there. Taggart is the outside guy. He's the hot name hire. And again, 
<laughs> for as much as we hate Willie Taggart, like it seemed like he was doing the right things at Oregon by the time he had left. Um, in general, Mario took this program back to the next level. Um, and again, a lot of Oregon fans have a very, I don't know, we have a very different view of ourselves. And I think a lot of the rest of the country does because of this absolutely meteoric rise we had under Bilotti and then especially under Kelly. Mm-hmm. Four straight New Year's Six Bowls and including a national title appearance is absolutely insane for this program. Um, I mean, just plain and simple. Like, you don't see that. Yeah. Uh, as close as we were this year to getting a third New Year's Six Bowl in a row, and, I mean, as close as we were to making the playoff for that matter, I know it seems like it's far away because the two blowout losses, but, again, there are reasons for that. I think with a healthy roster, this team is still the best in the conference this year. Like, my point being, this is not a time where you shrink down and stoop to get a guy who really cares about the values of the program and who loves Oregon unconditionally. I said this on the spaces last night. Fit is not something you talk about as a main qualifier for a coaching hire. Fit is the icing on the cake. Mario was, he had the cake, man. He was all about it. Again, he took us to the Rose Bowl. He won us a Rose Bowl. Like the recruiting is really what took this program to the next level. And it's, I don't know how many times we're going to reference the, the win in the horseshoe throughout the off season, but do not take that for granted. Like mm-hmm. I know it was without KT, without flow, everything like, and those would be the top two recruits on the field. Like it was, you don't win those types of games without talent. You aren't even in the playoff discussion without insane talent or chip Kelly and an insane scheme that I, to this day, people don't fully comprehend how insane it was that Oregon was going to a national title game or multiple right. for that matter. Um, anyways, I kind of want to use that as a segue to get into names a little bit. Um, so like we're kind of, as we evaluate this, where is this program at? Like, why should people want to come to Oregon? If it is, you know, this quote unquote stepping stone program where like guys are just going to move up to get the next job. You know, some people might say, well, that's a reason to go get somebody who actually cares about the program and who will build this thing from the ground up like Bilotti did. Or, I mean, Brooks yeah. did for that matter. Right. Why is that not, like, what's, what do you make of that? <laughs> well, I just think now is is not the time for us to shrink away and, um, and you know, go play small ball. Uh if you care about this football program, now's the time to fight and, and try to, you know, get get the athletic department, uh, you know, to push their chips in the table and go get someone um, because that's what this job is. And, and people can say whatever they want, you know, and, and discredit Oregon's success over the past decade and a half because, because USC was down. You know, it's like, okay, whatever you want to say, Oregon made two national title games and they won four New Year's Six Bowls in 10 years. So I, I just think that, um, you know, that's impressive. And, and I don't really care to hear about, you know, what USC was or wasn't doing because Oregon was beating them um, even when they had a lot of talent uh, and even when they had some coaches that are pretty well thought of now. Um, 
and yes, a good USC will be will be a threat to Oregon, and and USC is a great job, obviously. Um, but Oregon is too. Uh, I think you know one other thing we already pointed to John Canzano interview with Cristobal. If you haven't heard that, go listen to it. Another thing, uh, the Cover Three podcast put out a really good segment on the Oregon job um, after Cristobal left, and and Bud Elliott basically went through this thing and and was you know, going job by job saying, you know, to the rest of the hosts there, would you take it over Oregon or is it a toss up? Where does it sit? Uh, and the basic thing is, you know, Oregon is a program where you can win a national title and there are only about 15 of those jobs in the sport. So in that regard, we, we can't play small ball with the type of candidates we can get because, a bunch of people would love to be at a program where they can win a national title. Uh, and I think that anyone can settle in here and be here for the long haul. No, it's, it's not top five. It's not quite what Bama and LSU, uh, and, um, USC maybe are, but it's, it's right on that next tier where, you know, if you build it the right way, you can have sustained success like you do at a lot of programs. Um, so, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think it's a really I think it's a really good job. Still, uh, I'm a little nervous just because of where we sit at in the coaching cycle and the good names off the board. And and again, we're still you know the meat of this episode is going to be going through those games, those names one by one, and kind of talking about the pros and cons. Um, but overall, it, I think yeah, you got to just get you got to hit this higher well because. Um, you know, Oregon has a good history, but also, you know, just to play the other side, I will say part of why I was scared is because you look at back at the history of Oregon football right now, and there's, you know, all the prehistoric stuff, uh, and then Brooks steps in, and it's basically you have, you know, 30 or 40 years there where it's one staff that makes internal hire after internal hire. You hit the peak mm-hmm. of that with Chip, he passed it on to Helfrich, and we all know where it goes from there. You nosedive, uh, in, you know, into four and eight and everyone in the world, except for Aaron Fentress agrees that you should fire him. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then, uh, and then since then, so basically it's 40 years of internal hires and then it's two dudes from Miami who both bolted when their dream job opened up. Uh, there isn't a track record of a guy staying at Oregon yet. Um, for a long time without ties here. Uh, and that's okay. That doesn't happen everywhere. Um, and Oregon, frankly, hasn't given it much of an opportunity to happen. You know, they hired Willie and then they got Cristobal. And, and I think they got pretty unlucky in both those scenarios with the dream jobs opening up. Um, but it, it would definitely. Yeah. And I mean, something, I, something yeah, else that the cover three mentioned that I want to throw in right here is like how many jobs would mario have taken around the country right. to leave oregon uh maybe two yeah well like definitely two maybe like a few others uh the two being like miami or bama right um, I don't, I, again I don't it, even it is there are there are many others that he would have taken with where he built Oregon. Yeah. <laughs> um and and the only i think the only reason he took the miami job is because he's connected in florida and that's where his home is um, and that's where his family is. Uh, and then the Bama job, you know, 
all of she us are everyone it. listening yeah. to this i hope is okay with the fact that oregon is not going to be a better job than alabama uh, and that it's <laughs> always going to be a threat if alabama comes calling and wants to throw everything at your coach or maybe lsu you know that they might consider it and they might leave um but outside of that it's like if you're building a good thing at oregon you know where else do you really need to go um it depends on your preference here and there but yeah, you know, I just hope that Oregon can get a good guy in here and sustain it. But also, I just hope that they don't play scared. Like, I say that, but it's also like, hey, we still got to take a big swing here. We can't just curl up and say the most important thing is that we know whoever we hire won't leave us in the next 10 years. The yeah, most important that's... thing is that they're a good hire and that they can win yeah, football games. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um, again, like when we, I want to emphasize this, we absolutely struck gold with Mario Cristobal when we promoted him to be hired. I, (laughs) we were both, I'm like a little bit skeptical about that at the time. It was whatever. Um, but I think the immediate success we saw in those first two years certainly validated it. Um, that type of person I think one like one delineation we can make already is like that type of person doesn't exist in this program right now. Like there's no, there's no internal hire that uh, yeah. we can make right now that would suffice for what we want for this program. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, like let's talk about what immediately would need to happen for this hire to take place. Right. The early, sign- the early signing period throws a wrench into everything because usually these coaching changes would, would be made at the end of a season, you know, after a bowl game or something like that. Now, with the early signing period being up in December, it, yeah. it changes the entire game, right? You want to get your roster in the door. You want to hit the ground running as quick as possible. That's why this is happening now instead of after the Alamo Bowl. Again, for, for those who don't know, Um the biggest thing I think is to keep the roster we already have pretty much together. Cause again, some, another thing Cristobal mentioned from that Canzano interview is the best talent on the team by and large is are still underclassmen. Right. Again, yeah. obviously KT and, and Mikhail leaving, like presumably that's not like a report or anything. Um, you know, that would, those are two five-star guys that you would love to have on your roster at all times. But I mean, you look at guys like Noah Sewell, Flo for now is still technically in the program. Like, we'll see what happens there. The quarterbacks kind of goes mm-hmm. without saying. Cardwell, we've been talking about this year as like possibly a generational talent if he gets the right amount of touches going forward. Like, yeah, the offensive yeah. line rotation, mo- pretty much all of those guys are intact. Like, your line will be fine. I mean, I'm just, I'm buzzing through these position groups and I'm not really seeing like, any major deficiencies coming up in the next th- in the next few years um so that's the good news but in terms of who's not on the roster yet and who we're looking at i mean tanner bailey decommitting i think is where we got to start with with this class um that's a really tough pill to swallow not just because he's a quarterback not just because he's high rated but because that's sort of the guy who you look at and you say that's the dude who's going to tie this thing together. Like he's the guy who's been recruiting already. This is something we've talked about. Like he's been recruiting guys already for the past, like what year it feels like maybe a little Mm -hmm. less than that. Um, 
So that's pretty, that's a tough one to swallow off the bat. But who else is decommitted and who else do you see maybe decommitting from this 22 class? Yeah, so going through this list here, um, you know, I mean, the the big guy, like Kelvin Banks already gone. Uh, I think it's safe to say Cam Williams is probably out the door. And, and by the time you all hear this, these guys might be gone already. I, we can go through who might be might be gone but i think it's easier probably to go through the guys that you want to keep and that you know you you reasonably think you can um it starts with well it starts with tataroa mcmillan i mean he's the borderline five-star guy who thank goodness you know has Oregon as, as his dream school and i think if you make a good hire you have a good chance uh with him um mm-hmm. you have th- then you have the two Julios out of san diego those are your cornerback duo that are really, you know, going to be important to this program. Uh, it sounds like USC is going after them a bit, but I, I think that you have a chance there, especially if you make a good hire again. A guy like Devin Jackson, a linebacker, you know, TJ Dudley committed or decommitted earlier today. Um, I think there's a good chance Harrison Taggart could leave the class and go to Utah. Uh, Devin Jackson, I think you have a you have a decent chance at maybe holding on to again this all is contingent on having a good hire um mm-hmm. but you know you get that you get like a Trajan Williams you try to keep Grayson Halton from San Diego you try to keep Dave Iuli and Ben Roberts you've got if you do that you've got the bones of a good class Andre Dollar probably you're going to keep in the mix and then a Marion from Oregon you're obviously in a good spot with and and it Seems like Sir Mel's was putting out some positive stuff on Twitter as well. Um, so you go through that. I don't know how many names that was altogether. Probably around you know ten to twelve um, guys from this class. And look, it's it's not going to be a top ten class. Um, very very unlikely that it will. I think at this point, um, but it's it's going to be enough to hold you over. Uh, and compared to how Oregon has been recruiting in the past. It, it's probably all right. I think, uh, you know, one thing that Bud Elliott always says that I think he's really accurate on is with these early signing day classes, a lot of programs feel pressure to put in that new coach two weeks before signing day and get things together really fast and have them go out and make a bunch of new calls and do this and that and maybe bring commits from their past place or whatever. And it, mm-hmm. it goes very badly, very often, you know, way more of the time mm-hmm. than not those guys leave they're not that committed to the program they transfer soon after or they don't produce or whatever it is they're not a perfect match um and so luckily Oregon's way you know has the groundwork with these guys and and because of partly because of the relationship that you know they have with each other and and that Cristobal and the staff help to build i think that there's a brotherhood there where they you know feel a real attachment to each other and to playing at oregon and hopefully that wins through with with more of them than not um and Mm -hmm. you know i went through those those names obviously none of them are a sure thing completely um there's some good updates on scoop duck and i'm sure those will continue to come out on on where oregon stands with various guys um, but it's enough to put together a, a decent class here. And given just how, I mean, Oregon is so ahead of most, most coach openings right now of almost any coach opening I've seen really in terms of the talent on its roster, it's a insanely, 
um, good position. Uh, but in that regard, I think the most important thing for me is is you got to keep the roster together, right? Um, and we've seen good stuff on Twitter today from from players and parents, um, kind of you know, especially around that 2021 class. And this goes into a point that I think I really think is is a good way to look at this hire. Again, let's go back to four years ago and and where we came after going four and eight, and what what defined that rise was was a really the 2017 class of recruits and the 2016 class too a bit, um, but that 2017 class especially was really galvanizing for this program, uh, mm-hmm. and that is you know the the comparable to that is the 2021 class. That is kind of the brotherhood that's going to pull Oregon out of this thing, hopefully. Uh, and, and it might not have to be that long and laborious and painful of a thing. It, it could actually be pretty fun and go pretty fast. But in general, like, those are the guys you have to worry about most. You know, Ty Thompson, Byron Cardwell, uh, Troy Franklin, Dante Thornton, Jackson Powers Johnson on the offensive side, um, Isaiah Brevard, you know, Seven McGee. Those guys are important. Maliki Matavao, Terrence Ferguson. All those guys, everyone, especially on that offensive side, like that's the championship class that brought this thing together. And there are some really good defensive players that obviously are important too. Um, but yeah, I think that's the first thing. You find a way to keep that together. Um, and, you know, if you can do that, and you, I think that there are a few of these guys, you know, obviously a Kelvin Banks, Cam Williams, probably out the door, O-line guys. They committed from Texas because of their relationship with Mario and Mirabal. So we're not going to hold out hope for that group. But the West Coast guys, especially who have a connection to Oregon uh, and are close with each other, you can you can keep some of those guys in this class, and that will be enough to sustain a really good roster. Um, and we'll see where we go from there. Um, but yeah, I think it's I think it's also great. Like Kenny Farr put out a tweet. He's the equipment guy. For those who don't know. But he said, you know, he, he retweeted the same thing he tweeted in 2017, which is this program is so much bigger than any individual coach or player. Uh, total focus on taking care of the guys that want to be here today. Like every day is a great day to be an Oregon Duck. That's got to be, you know, that's got to be where it starts. And that's not dissing on Cristobal or anything. But ultimately, like the foundation of, of the Oregon program is in part you know, what the fans are and what they do. But first and foremost, it's the players that are in the locker room. And, you know, that it, I think this, these days have shown that those guys didn't just commit to crystal ball, but they committed to being at Oregon. Um, and so just reaffirming that and, and getting those guys into a practice soon and, you know, just having them around each other and reinforcing that bond is, is going to be the best thing quickly to do. Yeah, definitely. And something else I want to emphasize right now, too, is like learn something from the hires we've been seeing recently in terms of roster management, right? When Lincoln Hiley was hired, was hired at USC, players were in, insanely excited to play for him as soon as that hire was made. They, hadn't even, they probably haven't even met him yet. Like they probably didn't know really anything about him other than the fact that he was the coach at Oklahoma and that he was a huge hire and that it made a huge splash. Those kind of things do make a difference in the immediate future. And I'm not saying that like you should only hire your head coach because of the splash he's going to make. But I mean, 
it sure as hell helps recruiting when you do get a big name guy in the door. Um, and they can say the same thing. They With a straight face, they can say the same things that Mario did without lying to people. Um, and I'm not, in, I'm, don't read me wrong. Like Mario, I'm not saying Mario was lying to any of these people or anything like that. Um, just understand that this is not, in order to sustain this level of, um, I mean, success at Oregon. I mean, even a 10 win season is like, you know, that used to be like, oh my God, this is, this is a great year. I mean, how many times did we even do that in the Bellotti era? I can look at it right now and tell you three times, four times in the entire time that he was there. (laughs) That's not a whole lot. Um, again, with this infatuation with the chip era and for good reason, again, like, we have totally heightened our expectations to unreasonable levels. I mean, those are the people who I, I'm talking about the people who are, you know, never thought Cristobal was going to be a good head coach at Oregon or things like that. Um, or who thought that Helfrich could have continued being successful for whatever reason. Um, like recruiting is what gets you in the door of the playoff conversation, period. Yeah. And gets yep. you in that national title conversation as as even a possibility of trying to get there. Yep. Again, you guys have to understand, Chip at Oregon was the one exception to this rule. Like there's been, I think there's been one other team that has made a national title game without hitting that blue chip ratio of 50%, meaning having most of your roster comprised of four and five stars. And it was Clemson when they first had uh, Deshaun Watson, maybe. Yeah. Or maybe it was Taj. I, I don't remember. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it was Deshaun. Two examples in the entire, like, history of recruiting rankings existing. Right. Um, <laughs> it's just one of those things that people who really pay attention to this stuff understand, and then the more casual people who, you know, maybe really understand football and maybe have – you know, been ride or die with this program forever. I'm not, I'm I'm not shutting you down here. I'm just telling you this stuff does make a difference and we need somebody who can help us make that difference. Um, Yeah. Our goal is not to get 10 wins anymore. Our goal is much higher than that. Um, And again, if that means hiring somebody who maybe goes on to bigger things a few years down the road, (laughs) that's what it takes, man. Like, it's very it's it's actually impossible to find a head coach who will stay with your program forever it's it's genuinely impossible um especially a really good one and exactly i I mean and the reality too is like oregon yeah i mean if they played at oregon that would be nice but oregon doesn't have that many super high profile football alums that are you know 50 years old and have really cut their teeth in the coaching industry um you know, yeah. Like, and with that being said, we're <laughs> let's just get this out of the way right now. We are striking Justin Wilcox's name off of our board. I <laughs> that's it's kind of like embarrassing that that's even a name being floated around as a serious possibility. Like the man can't win at Cal, and I understand there's a lot of reasons for that that maybe aren't necessarily his fault. Um, but to steal your line that you wrote in the doc here, read. I haven't seen a single person connected to Oregon under the age of 50 saying that this would be a good idea. <laughs> would you like to expand on that? 
I mean, I just think that he's like, you know, he's going to kill so much of the positive stuff around this, around the brand of Oregon. Like, why is Oregon cool and exciting in the offense and and just being like the fun program? Like, why do we have fans in, in Florida and, you know, across the country? Like, n- not because of small potatoes Justin Wilcox hires. That's not yeah. what it is. And I know people are going to say that, you know, Chip Kelly was, uh, wasn't was a huge name when he came in, but that is the exception, not the rule. Uh, and Chip also was, you know, an indif- innovative, innovative offensive mind and was pushing, pushing the envelope on that regard. I mean, I put out a Twitter poll earlier um, that it was pretty simple. I said, you know, I just want to get a gauge on, on Oregon fan response fan support for a potential Wilcox hire. You know what percent said? Uh, there are three options. Yes, meh, and no. 9% <laughs> said yes. 67% said no. Yeah. And this is pretty like good indicator three, right there. 350 votes. So, I mean, come on. like That kind of shit works at Oregon State. This is not Oregon State. We right. are not aiming to have a, a nice, you know, competitive bowl season Um, yeah and it's it's pretty clear now that like we're in this thing and i hope mullins is too and i think he is we're in this thing to win natties period yeah and we're not going to be like that's the thing no one should be sorry about saying that you know people want to say that oregon is oregon fans like are trying to make themselves into something they're not or whatever and and my perspective on it is you know oregon fans haven't claimed to be anything really what they've said is that their goal is a national title they've that's what we've made clear as fans and there's nothing there's no shame in that you know that's that's what it is um some other news that we we should address that actually just broke um before we get into the rest of our list of actual candidates uh Mm -hmm. is that we do have an interim head coach hire oh perfect timing who is it uh, yeah, it's Brian McClendon, the wide receivers coach. Oh, um, right. pretty interesting. I, I didn't really suspect this, uh, to be honest. I thought that, you know, the two more off, more likely outcomes were Deruder because he has head coach experience. Um, that would have been easy. Or you bring, uh, you bring Mike Bellotti back in a kind of Bob Stoops type of role, uh, which, which would be really interesting given, what Oklahoma's doing right now, uh, who happens to be mm-hmm. our opponent in the Alamo Bowl. But no, you know, those those are the hypotheticals. But what actually happened was we promote Brian McClendon. Um that's my first reaction is is very positive. Um B Mac is is an ace recruiter, right? Uh he's done an awesome job with wide receivers this cycle, especially Tedaroa McMillan. Uh, it seems like it'd be a very smart idea to keep him around if you can. Um, now, so, so I, I think it's pretty positive. You know, I don't know exactly what his role is going to be or how successful he'll be as a head coach. Uh, I don't really think he has much experience in that realm, but we'll see how it goes. Um, I feel I feel good about it. I feel like it's a really positive name, and I feel like it's going to help recruiting, right? And and that's probably the most important mm-hmm. things right now. Players like him, and it helps recruiting. Um, the other thing about it, obviously is, is what are the implications potentially 
for a hire, does this mean that, you know, there's some guarantee that he'll be included in a future staff? Uh, that worries me a little bit just because I don't like making those types of demands when you're trying to hire someone, but maybe they're farther along in a, in a, you know, coaching conversation than we think, obviously breaking news can happen at any time with this stuff. But, um, yeah, maybe that means he's retained at a wide receiver coach, co-offensive coordinator, full offensive coordinator. If you get an offensive mind in there, whatever it is. Um, but I think that's really positive news and, and, you know, it's just a bit more exciting than than Deruder. Um and even though Bilotti would have been nice and nostalgic, it's it's probably more exciting. Bilotti is not Stoops well. though, right? Yeah. Like Stoops is a household name across college football and across the country. Like Bilotti is to a very specific set of people. I don't think those people include current recruits. Um, so yeah, I'm totally fine with this. McClendon was also the uh, he has he does have experience as an interim. Um, in 2015, he was Georgia's interim head coach after they got rid of Mark Richt in 2015. Right. Um, for what it's worth, he won that game, 2015 tax, 2016 Tax Slayer Bowl. Uh, but, I mean, I don't think Oregon fans are really super concerned about the outcome of the bowl game right now. Um, I like this idea for all the reasons you laid out. Keeps it exciting, keeps it fresh somebody who obviously has a lot of connections with current recruits already. Um, and yeah, I mean, again, Bilotti is not like, it would have been fun to have the whole Bilotti Stoops thing happening. Um, and it's, it's kind of nice to think about him and that sort of caretaker role for a program. Uh, yeah. Like he's our, he's our shoulder to cry on. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I think this is a good move. I like McClendon as the interim head guy and no, I don't think, I mean, for the immediate question that comes up of like, oh, this is what happened with Mario. Maybe he gets a shout for the head coaching job. I would be surprised if McClendon got an interview at this point. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I wouldn't they, expect that but he's, to happen. <laughs> he, he's a great assistant. So if a head coach agreed to have him on, uh, even in like a co-OC role or, or whatever it was, I would initially be, be pretty excited about that. Uh, he's one of the better assistants on the staff. And, and again, he's done a great job recruiting. Um, yeah, that yeah. that's, that's good news to me, but this stuff's all developing. So we'll, we're kind of going to have to see how it goes. Um, well, before, that, that checks off one bullet point for us. The yeah. Interim conversation. Um, totally. Um, I think we're pretty much ready to get into candidates quickly before we do that. And I, I guess we'll intersperse this in here. But I do just want to kind of, you know, for a moment say like, look, this is very negative times. I know people are both angry at Mario and things are up in the air and all of that. But there are some reasons to be excited. And I know it's like a bit hypocritical of me to say this because I've been a fan of Mario and we'll see how it goes, you know. Um, and there's a lot of questions ahead. This isn't like sunshine pumping, but. Um, I think go, go watch, what was it? Dan Rubenstein did just like a two minute excerpt on this, uh, on, on his reaction to crystal ball. Um, and he, he basically said, you know, there was a very specific way that we all watched Oregon games over the past three years. And yes, we had a lot of success during that time, but it, it was a bit frustrating. There's some mismanagement. The offense wasn't let loose. For whatever reason that was, you know, this is an opportunity to get past that stuff. Um, and that is exciting, right? Um, mm -hmm. 
and it's an opportunity oh. to clean house and hand it over to new guys and and fill in all the issues in this program, whatever it was, whatever stuff Cristobal inherited from Taggart that was a bit dysfunctional. I'm not going to name specifics, but I know that you know <laughs> not everything in this program was functioning to the top level it could be, and and I think that part of the issue of of Cristobal only kind of half getting to um, start this thing from a blank slate uh, was rough for him, you know, and inhibited him at sometimes. He did some other things to himself, uh, like the handling of the quarterback at times. Um, <laughs> but regardless, there's reason to be excited here. And, and there really are some good names here, a few of them. Um, and whatever, you know, you want to say about Cristobal, he had some deficiencies and, and hopefully some of those things can be addressed and we can get back to all the things about Oregon football that we love. Namely winning games. Um, I, I like that you said that. Uh, I want to talk, I, I think you should think about it the same way that we talk about preseason, like certain guys on the roster, right? Just because it's a question, a question mark doesn't necessarily mean it has a negative answer. Mm -hmm. um, you know, sometimes it is. See quarterback this season. Um, sometimes it isn't think tight end you know we were asked questions about that at the beginning of the year and it turned out to be one of our most solid position groups wide receiver i mean that was a little less of a question mark but just because we have a vacancy doesn't mean it's necessarily a bad thing there is potential to upgrade yes yep in that vein uh maybe let's just start at the top man who we've already knocked off wilcox but um who's your number one choice for this we have the same answer yeah, it's it's Dave Aranda at Baylor. That's a dude who get Phil Knight on a on a plane, get into Baylor, and just start printing out money until you get Dave Aranda to to come home to Eugene. Um, in my opinion, and don't let him sign that extension with Baylor that is reportedly on the table. Uh, I think he's I think he's the dude. Um, yeah, you agree. Give quick quick why you feel that way. Uh, I mean, there's a reason he was his name was thrown into the LSU and USC conversations. Mm -hmm. I mean, the guy has just brought Baylor, Baylor, up to a Big Twelve champion. And yeah, you can say that that sort of thing can only happen, you know, when Oklahoma's down or what have you. But like, the fact of the matter is, Baylor has no business winning that conference, and the fact that he's been able to do it and turn around from a team that last year was god awful. I want to say they were like two and five or two and seven or something like that. Um, he has the experience with LSU of being on a championship caliber team. He knows what it takes. Mm -hmm. um, he's an extremely like sound guy. I mean, we'll we'll cover some other candidates later in this list that are a little more loose cannon style uh yeah. but dave aranda is definitely like the super professional super um i i'm shying away from saying nice guy but uh he's full of class um, yeah and i think that would kind of be it wouldn't be different like i, I think mario brought all those things to the table too but um yeah man he's just a super solid head coach period. Um, and he's a guy who's due for an upgrade to a bigger program. And I think Oregon can be that. Yeah, 100% agree with that. Just to put some kind of specifics here so people know. So yes, like you said, took over at Baylor, 
and they just won the Big 12 championship. That's very impressive accomplishment. Baylor's roster, for reference, has 12 four stars on it. They sit 41st in 247 team talent composite. Um, and <laughs> Oklahoma is at sixth. So that's a really impressive feat. Um, and it, it also has a nice component of it of, okay, you know, USC, you want to go get, you know, flashy uh, Lincoln Riley. Well, we'll get the guy who just beat him in the Big 12. Um, mm-hmm. And and it's kind of a really strong response to what, what USC did. Um, in terms of, well, his resume before that, obviously he's the DC at of LSU's championship team in 2019, uh, which had a really good defense. Um, kind of didn't got overshadowed by by Joe Burrow and what they're doing on the offensive side, but that defense was damn good as well. Um, and so I kind of think of him as obviously he's different from Cristobal, but in terms of that kind of like no nonsense professionalism process oriented type of approach he's he's Mm going to be a similar feel to that right people saw um probably clips of him after they got the big stop in the big 12 championship and he's he's still got the straight face after they get the fourth (laughs) down stop that's that's cool um you know it shows that he's a serious dude and um so that's awesome uh, the other thing, he's a West Coast guy. He grew up a UCLA fan, and it's interesting. There have been, you know, rivaling reports. People say he's comfortable at Baylor. People say there's an extension on the table that he's ready to sign. Um, but as we know, you know, a coach's word only means so much. Uh, and I will say that Bud, Bud Elliott, kind of, they were discussing discussing Aranda, um, and Bud Elliott said, you know, he'd he'd take the UCLA job potentially. Uh, if that were to open up, if Chip left um, or was fired or whatever it was. Um, and so that makes me think he's open to going back to the West Coast. And him having West Coast ties is is as much as you can ask for, honestly. Uh, you're not mm-hmm. going to get someone uh, outside of Wilcox who has, you know, super close ties to Eugene probably, um, especially not someone who's a great candidate. So him being at least based on the West Coast makes me believe this could be a really good fit. Um so those are all pros. Uh, our guy, Josh Pate, went to the Baylor game <laughs> where they beat Oklahoma and gave as strong an endorsement as you could possibly give for a head coach, really. Uh, and that means a lot to me personally. I mean, everyone I feel like who knows much in this industry is raving about uh, Dave Aranda right now. He is like the hot name looking to make a jump. And so snagging him would be absolutely huge. Um, and and mm-hmm. so the other out of, if you're, if you're saying, you know, how does Aranda compare to Cristobal in demeanor, they're probably pretty similar. No nonsense guys, process oriented, all of that stuff. Um, he's a West coast guy. That's a plus. The other big plus is that he knows how to call a defense. You know, Cristobal yeah. was yeah. good with the O line. That was his specialty, but he couldn't call plays for either side. Dave Aranda strong defense you're not going to have to worry about coordinator hires too much there he's going to have that thing dialed in pretty well um in terms of yeah real quick on that uh real quick on the defensive side so he spent three years at wisconsin from 2013 to 2015 as an inside linebackers coach and defensive coordinator uh in 2013 wisconsin finished ninth in total defense in the country 2014 they finished ninth in the defense in total in uh in the country 
2015, they finished second in total defense in the country, and then he got the move to LSU for four years. Mm-hmm. That's a resume right there. That yeah. <laughs> That is a very, very – you will not see many better defensive resumes um, from one guy in – well, on the market right now, really. Uh, so, yeah, continue. Yeah, I think um... – Two major drawbacks for me to this hire, and again, he's my 1A on the board by a pretty good margin, so I'm going to be really excited if Oregon gets him. But the two questions are going to be, um, one, you know, how do, how do you figure out the offense, right? I mean, that's the classic critique of a defensive head coach is you're going to have to rotate through offense routinely. Um, he does have a good OC there, um, so I think that, you know, Hopefully, uh, Baylor doesn't hang on to uh, Jeff Grimes, their offensive coordinator, but and, and promote him to head coach or whatever. Obviously, that's that's all speculation. Uh, but if he comes over, that'd be awesome. He was a guy who who probably would have gotten an interview for the Oregon offensive uh, coordinator hire under Chris Twell anyways. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah. So, anyways, that that. Uh, is a plus for now like you'd go in and it would be good if it's not him though he worked with joe brady at lsu um there are plenty of great offensive coordinators that could that oregon could go after and uh, there's a list put out on scoop duck that was kind of crystal ball's choices i'm sure there would be some similar names uh if you know aranda had to do a potential oc hire or maybe mcclendon gets in the mix again who who knows um but offense is one thing. Other thing is recruiting. Uh, we don't totally know, you know, what the deal is going to be there. I think that uh, it's it's pretty fair to have questions about it, right? Um, especially with USC taking over. I think we all felt, you know, just a little bit more comfortable because it was like, hey, okay, yeah, you know, USC is in a good spot. Yeah, we can admit that, but... Um, you know, we have an ace recruiter in our of our own in Cristobal, and so we trust him to be able to battle. I don't know if, you know, Aranda doesn't seem like he's quite on that level, but we don't know for sure, one. And then two, I think that um, if he is able to come in uh, and win quickly, which if he keeps this roster, he probably will be able to win quickly, and this applies to all the guys, there's going to be, a, you know, some recruiting success um, that's followed from that. So, yeah, uh, those are those are the questions. The third one, uh, you know, that's kind of a smaller, less less significant question is just what's the culture fit like? Um, he doesn't, you know, scream Oregon's brand to me exactly. Obviously, he's defensive minded, mm-hmm. and and we all know, you know, the flash and all that stuff is what is what built Oregon and the quick pace, no huddle offense. He he doesn't have that stuff with him, but that's not exactly where the sport has at anymore um but i just hope that he's he's willing to embrace that stuff like cristobal did later in his tenure uh you know i mean the nightmare green uniforms were cool and stuff with cristobal but it's like uh what you know it's got to be something it's you've got to have a coach who realizes what a big asset it is you know the flash at oregon and the uniforms and how much that helps them uh, mm-hmm. And realize that that doesn't mean that they have to compromise their process or compromise being a physical team or defensively sound or whatever. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. One guy that would presumably uh, 
light things up. And by by the way, I agree with everything you just said about Aranda. There's a reason he's both of our 1A, like the 1A for both of us. Um, again, he is pretty much the, the hottest name on the market right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, before I get into the next name, I want to preface this with the fact that um, Baylor's a private school. We don't know what Aranda's getting paid right now. He does have an extension on the table from Baylor, but it's unclear as to whether he signed it or not yet. He said publicly that, you know, he wants to stay at Baylor and that he's loyal and everything. But uh, I got news for you. If you pay attention to college football, that doesn't mean anything. Um, And and to me, the fact that, again, Bud Elliott was saying that he he thinks that there would be interest in him taking a UCLA job potentially um, makes me feel like he's, you know, he's going to be open to offers. And yeah. Yeah. Um. And that's why it's funny because usually when we when we talk about coaching carousels, we talk about like guys who have recently just left a job or like NFL guys like Joe Brady who haven't like, you know, they've just been demoted from an NFL spot or whatever um, or are looking to get back into the college game. This next name, another current head coach in college football. And I think this kind of this might be the most exciting possible hire Oregon can make. And I'm not talking about Chip Kelly. It's Lane Kiffin. Um, a lot of Oregon fans, and I've noticed this, especially some of the older ones who were like really dialed into what USC was doing and everything when Kiffin was there, understandably are not hyped about me suggesting that. Like I, I was talking to my dad earlier today and he was like laughing at the fact that we would ever want Lane Kiffin. And I was like, Mm -hmm. again, he's the hottest, he's one of the hottest names on the coaching market for a reason. Like this dude can coach a damn offense. And right now, I think this makes the most sense in terms of um, the personnel we already have at Oregon, considering yeah. Tide coming in next year or if it's Butters, the young receiver core who we rave about all the time. You know, this would probably bring this. This would light up the scoreboard. This would put points on the board. This would sell tickets. Um, this would be a big, big splash. This is the type yeah. of hire where as I was talking about earlier with Riley and USC, you would see current players, current recruits, like open their eyes a little bit and like tweet some favorable emojis out about it. Um, (laughs) Again, current head coach at Ole Miss, he just took Ole Miss to a 10 win season and a new year's six bowl. That's about as good as it gets at Ole Miss. Um, And I mean, I was listening to cover three yesterday, like maybe that's what he wants. And maybe that's just kind of him maybe the talent pool there is good enough to just keep him there for a while. But um, I don't know, man, I would very much like Kiffin, not as much as Aranda, but what are your pros and cons of Kiffin? Yeah, I think you, you hit on it pretty well with your summary. Um, We all know what happened at USC and he he goes to Tennessee and then he ends up flaming out at USC. Um, But then he goes to the Saban rehabilitation clinic and basically is, (laughs) I mean, he's the guy who's basically credited for transforming Alabama's offense and convincing Nick Saban to, you know, dedicate to the spread. Um, Mm -hmm. And then he goes, you know, has a lot of success at Florida Atlantic and then good season at Ole Miss this year um, in which he also showed the ability to, uh, to develop quarterbacks. So, yeah, I mean, in terms of like the immediate flash and like, how much fun would I have watching the Oregon team in 2022 and 2023? 
I mean, Kiffin would be awesome. Like, he's the guy who will mm-hmm. unlock, you know, Ty Thompson, Troy Franklin, Dante Thornton, and this thing it could get really fun. Um, and so that's cool on it for sure. Uh, and it matches the Oregon brand in that way that, you know, Oregon brand, Oregon is, is fun and flashy and offensive. Um, but you know, the, the downside of it is just how sustainable is it? Um, I kind of compared it to, you know, like the classic thing, filling up on candy and popcorn, you know, and yes, feels really good for a while and you're having a lot of fun you're really happy and then you know it it doesn't turn out that it's that sustainable um and with kiffin you accept all that you know fun flashy offense with some of the bad stuff which is you know trolling around on twitter and um the possibility that he would always kind of have one foot out the door um and he like he's publicly posted on on twitter and instagram and stuff you know, little th- weird things while at Ole Miss in the midst of the LSU coaching search. Like, you know, I think he mm-hmm. posted him him in Baton Rouge or something with a Louisiana thing on it, which is just kind of like, yeah, haha. It's it's like really <laughs> funny if he's not your head coach, but if he is, <laughs> it's a bit of a headache, and especially for a fan base that has just been through that stuff twice, that part of it is a little worrying. Um, but I mean, I could get excited about it, especially for the short term if it happens. Yeah. So at this point, like, I think we would, you know, again, this is projecting, but narrative projecting. Uh, say we hire Aranda, solid A, A minus hire, something like that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's not. I mean, it doesn't again, get a plus for me, but I can't say uh, it's it's tough for me to buy in so. F- so hard on any hire but i think you know in terms of like the job done and and the choice i think it's the best candidate out there so in that regards like a plus to rob mullins if he gets it done now like can i guarantee he's gonna win a national championship at oregon of course not um no you can't guarantee that for anybody yeah right uh like you said kiffin is like viewed as pretty immature how is he on the recruiting trail? You, you'd be able to answer that question better than I. Um, he's he's just kind of gimmicky is the thing. Like his most famous recruiting stunt um, is that he he uh, put the – he had like the night where it was Eli Manning night, I think it was. Um, oh, right. Where Arch Manning were, is coming. Yeah, yeah. Arch Manning, <laughs> the number one recruit in 2023. And so he put Manning in the end zone. Um and then also like he i think on instagram he like literally only follows arch manning right now um yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of funny i mean his recruiting class right now at Ole Miss isn't that great he has four four stars and only 14 commits uh i couldn't tell you like exactly where they're trending because obviously it there's not that much overlap um yeah, yeah. between oregon and and old miss targets um but we'll see it's like you know if he gets here and and oregon builds out a successful recruiting department around him or whatever you know it could go well and he probably has more connections on the west coast too so and again the biggest aid to recruiting is not your head coach it's winning uh so if he can do that then i'm not going to say recruiting take recruiting takes care of itself but it certainly gets a little bit easier um 
All right, one name in which recruiting would certainly not get easier, in fact, it might just stop happening, is a name that I'm sure we've all heard, maybe the most likely to get the job, according to some people, according to Vegas he is, uh, Chip Kelly, current head coach at UCLA. Um, I think we kind of know the deal with Chip by now. He's sort of the, I've been viewing him as sort of the polar opposite to Cristobal in a lot of ways, right? Cristobal recruits to the point of like he's going to have the best class in the Pac-12 and you can't tell him otherwise whereas Chip is like oh yeah recruiting is something that I guess has to happen but let me work on my plays first like let me work on my offense a little bit we're seeing that right now at UCLA like if you listen to guys like Hitler Bay he'll tell you like guys who really know football will tell you like the product of (laughs) or sorry UCLA's like weird season this year and pretty much everything chip has done with them is a product of completely mismanaging rosters and just not having guys in the right spots or just not getting the right guys at all i mean i believe he recruited did he recruit dtr to ucla uh no i don't think so no it was before him yeah again even helps my point i guess like he just didn't (laughs) (laughs) he has not been able to put things together and again yes he succeeded at oregon he has the best resume in terms of results in Oregon history. I am not going to argue with you about that. But that is not sustainable. You cannot innovate your way to multiple national titles. You cannot innovate your way into a dynasty. That ship sailed 10 years ago. Or not 10, but you know, 15 years ago. Yeah. 17 years ago when he left the first time. Um, yeah. It's not or sorry, seven, not 17. The time for that is over, right? It's, <laughs> I'm, I'm really over the chip has an insane offense. Like, uh, honestly, he's not doing that. Like, yeah, he's still like trying stuff at UCLA, but it's not like he's getting results there. Yeah, eight wins is cute, but I mean, we're not here for eight or 10 wins. We're here to build this thing into an absolute monster. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, tell me why we shouldn't, chip kelly yeah well i mean in the pros column for me one big thing is like you know if if it if it's if it's between chip and wilcox you know if a few guys turn us down it's like i mean i will say i love chip you know it's like if i'm gonna be if i'm gonna be mediocre with anyone i would be mediocre with chip Um, (laughs) but i don't really want to be mediocre right um <laughs> I think I think he's a good head coach. Um especially on offense. Uh schematically, right? He's good he's good mm-hmm. X's and O's guy. I I honestly trust that. I think he still is. I, he's not quite, you know, ahead of the curve as much as he was. Um but look, I mean, he, I he's had success. Look at how much he put up on USC this year. What was it? 66 or something? um it's a lot so i mean oregon's offense hasn't felt like it could scratch that total in a while um so that would be exciting um in that regard and it's obviously very oregon football uh and i think that his ability to coach or to recruit at oregon would probably be different than at ucla uh ucla is a good program but you know just him in that oregon o in that gear um probably carries a little bit of a different weight um you know, it's like 
you know, Superman mm -hmm. when he doesn't have his costume on versus when he does kind of type of thing. Mm -hmm. um, but but the the issues are, again, you know, it's recruiting, like I said, and, and assistant hires. Um, can't can't be hiring his friends for defensive coordinator position. Can't be hiring Brady Hoke like he did at Oregon. Um, so you got to build out the right assistant pool focused on recruiting around him and make him hire a really good DC, actually. Um, and then the other thing is, you know, think about what can you do on the recruiting end um, for a guy who I think he, you know, it would be fun to have him at Oregon. I hope he'd stay here, but the dude doesn't like to recruit, right? Uh, he's a, mm -hmm. he's a coach who schematically fits college really well, but doesn't want to deal with the recruiting responsibilities of a college head coach. Um, I think, I mean, this is totally like ridiculous. Don't take it very seriously. Exactly. But, but at the same time, it's like people for the last, you know, five, 10 years, not even like last five years, um, have talked about, you know, one day there's going to be a general manager like roster manager hired in college football who's going to be just focused on recruiting and managing that um and there are some similar roles to that you know and, and recruiting departments exist yes but you know if if you had like a really defined roster manager role that you hired a guy in and you really like went the Oregon route and like set aside money and were like we're going to innovate coaching right now. We're going to hire a full-on recruiting guy. And you get a guy in there like Cooper Patagna is a name who has ties to Oregon and worked at Washington too. I have no clue if he'd be interested in that. This is like probably total speculation, right? Um, mm -hmm. But what could you do if, the, if you miss on your other candidates and you have to bring Chip back? Um or if people just love Chip and, and that's it, either way, you know, something has to be done to try to build out around him in terms of recruiting so that this thing can still work. Um, and I think a lot of the groundwork is going to help itself in terms of if Chip Kelly is at Oregon and Oregon is winning at a high, high level, which I think they would be able to do early on, yes, there's going to be interest. Um so if you have a good recruiting staff, you, you might not need Mario level to get some really good talent. I agree. And I missed the second half of my comparison with Cristobal in this sense. Um, Chip Kelly is not going to make mental coaching mistakes. He's not going to make stupid errors like giving up 10 points at the end of the half in two games to, to Utah uh, yeah. in games that we're already losing. Like Chip Kelly is going to outsmart you. Mario Cristobal is going to push you around and out beef you uh historically speaking the latter does quite a bit better in college football um but the former was fun while we had it too so yeah i mean i wouldn't be outraged at at hiring chip it would kind of be like a b minus or whatever it's like it's like the the assignment that you know you can phone in and turn in what you have now and you get a b but if you really really want to like work at it a little bit harder and you really need that a then you're going to go for somebody a little bit better. Or like you said, maybe build out the staff a little bit more and maybe have a little bit uh, tighter reins on how Chip is approaching things like recruiting and uh, just overall roster management. But I like the shot for Patagna. He's a really smart guy. We've seen, I mean, people from pretty much his position, like 
I think of Barton Simmons uh, right, used to be co-host of Barton, but yeah, going to Vanderbilt um, and doing that same thing in that sort of newer general manager style role. I think that is, you know, that's a good point that you bring up. That's something that would move, definitely move the needle for me if we did something like that. But all right, let's get through the rest of these. Um, there's pretty much one more big name we want to talk about on this list. And it's another name that's been thrown around and it's another current head coach. But it's a name that's been thrown around all season and last offseason even for other big-time head coaching jobs. Um, and it's similar to Aranda. Well, it's Matt Campbell. I won't bury the lead. Um, similar to Aranda, Big 12 school, you know, took lesser talent and made more out of it. Um, again, not the easiest route to go, but it it is sustainable at other places if you do it right. Um Again, like Aranda, very process-oriented guy. He's all about just chopping wood and like doing your job <laughs> one day at a time. And that's mm. it's boring, but that's what makes a solid head coach. I mean, that's again, that's straight yeah. from like the Nick Saban playbook right there. Um, why would you be excited or not excited about Matt Campbell? Yeah, well, I mean, I think the basics of it, like what you first see, the process-oriented stuff, he checks those boxes, and that stuff's nice, but ultimately it's like he is a do-more-with-less kind of coach, um, but I'm not sure if he's a do-more-with-more type of coach, if that makes sense, mm. you know? I just yeah, yeah. I don't know if he can really succeed at the highest level. I think he's great at taking an Iowa state roster and kind of like, Oh, on an off year, I'm going to push 10 wins here. Um, mm -hmm. but ultimately like that, I get excited about, you know, what it would be like to have an Aranda. And I actually, there's a side of me. I, I mean, honestly, with those first three, uh, Chip Kelly is not a better coach than Mario Cristobal in terms of like overall, I don't think that at all, but there are aspects of the offense with Kelly and Kiffin that are exciting. And the fact that you'd hope Kelly wouldn't leave again, um, that's exciting. And, and then Aranda, obviously for all the reasons we mentioned, is really exciting. And, and I actually think potentially an upgrade over Cristobal, even if he's a slight downgrade in recruiting. Um, with Matt Campbell, it's it's tough for me to find any edge where I'm thinking, you know, this guy's better than Cristobal. Like, yeah, mm -hmm. he's he's a little better in game management, um, and he's good at, you know, development, sure. But at the same time, it's like he, he's a worse recruiter. He has a worse resume. It, like Cristobal, the thing that made Cristobal legit to me was like, this dude won a national championship at Miami at its peak and then went to Alabama and coached in one of the greatest, you know, he, he's, he has his fingers in two of the greatest dynasties in the history of the sport. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's like with, with Campbell, it's just like, he's not, he's not quite that guy. Um, I just, yeah. I mean, that's why I was when he was heavily rumored with the USC job, I just wasn't, that excited about it you know i mean he's a guy who like he coached he he just like like i just said about chris wall's all like resume and then you compare that to campbell and it's like dude this guy worked at bowling green then went to mountain union as an o-line coach and oc then went back to bowling green then went to toledo and then went to iowa state it's like yeah and like his I biggest mean, accomplishments are 
building Toledo into a nine win team and building Iowa state into, uh, well, winning the Fiesta bowl against us. Like that, right. that is their crowning achievement with him at their, at the helm. Uh, and yeah, I mean, three time, big, big 12 coach of the year. He was the Mac coach of the year in 2015. There's no doubt he's a good coach, but it seems more like a Washington hire than an Oregon hire. Yeah. I mean, you just like his, I don't know. Like, yeah, he took over Iowa state and went like three and nine to eight and five, eight and five, seven and six, nine and three. And now he's back to seven and five. It's like, okay. You know, I'm, that's he's yeah. a good and to be fair a like totally a lot of those good coach but is he like, yeah you know organ level uh, he'd be like uh, a c for me he's like a c um i also just think maybe, he's, he's a weird really weird fit i don't think he matches with the organ i mean organ you know good coaches are good coaches but organ's brand isn't totally just about you know chopping wood it's supposed to be fun and exciting to play football at Oregon, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And yeah. Yep. I want to, I want to coat everything we just said in the last like hour, naming all these guys with the fact that we don't Oregon meaning we meaning Oregon and Rob Mullins are not exactly in a position to be picky when it comes to these guys for better or worse, we might have to accept a chip Kelly or a Matt Campbell or you know, whoever else we're able to pull out of our back pocket at the end of the day. Like there's, because we got put in this situation so late, a lot of these big names that, you know, we were never going to hire Lincoln Riley, probably not Brian Kelly, but I mean, Venables maybe would have been an idea. You know, I think he was a little more destined for that Oklahoma job once it opened. But again, if this had happened a little bit earlier, it, it makes a huge difference long-term And, I mean, if you do go out and get one of those top, top choices, it's going to cost you a pretty penny at this point. Um, If guys like Aranda couldn't be – I mean, obviously you you would always want – if you're USC, you would always want Lincoln Riley ahead of Dave Aranda. But, I mean, the fact that he didn't take that job, maybe the deal wasn't sweet enough, you know, maybe like at LSU, maybe they talked to him and, shoot, maybe Brian Kelly wasn't their first choice in this whole thing, like – I don't know. It's very unnerving from a money standpoint, especially again, going back to this contract negotiation with Mario where they had their number and they stuck to it. Um, and to fans like us, that doesn't mean a whole lot. Like you don't see sec schools being like, Oh, you know what? It's okay. Like that guy was asking for too much money. So we didn't want to give it to him. Like, no, you got to get your guy. And with Cristobal, you know, you had to keep your guy. So in that sense, like, I understand he was probably going to go home as long as Miami matched that offer and promised to revitalize the program. You know, maybe they're building a new stadium, whatever. But by not retaining him and not splurging a little bit to keep him, like we're now in a position where we're going to have to splurge to get a guy of similar caliber. And we have to start from the ground up yet again. Um. All right, so those are kind of our, would you say those are our top four? Yeah, I think they're, I mean, yeah, I think they're the biggest four names. You know, I, for, personally, there's probably some other hires I'd be more excited about than Campbell. Um, but I think he's worth mentioning for sure. Uh, Kalani Satake, BYU is another one yeah. that gets floated around quite a bit. 
Um, I don't know. It something about that just doesn't really scream Oregon to me. Um, yeah, not at all. He's a good coach. I'm not going to deny that. Like he's taken BYU to some great successes, but I don't know. Again, I think this is a guy who we wouldn't necessarily be considering. And again, we don't know if we're considering any of these guys. Like these are just names we personally are floating around, not we Oregon are actively pursuing. Um, maybe we are, maybe we aren't. But as Jay Hop points out in his article, we don't have the luxury of a deep head coaching pool right now. So we just kind of got to get who we can get um, and spin it so that it doesn't look like that. <laughs> um, Wilcox, we already talked about. I just don't, I, I, we already talked about that. No, that's a, that's a small program move. Um, Brian Harson's name is, getting floated around for this i've seen it in multiple places he's the current head coach at auburn the sort of consensus around harson is that um auburn basically settled on him he was the former uh boise state head coach for those unfamiliar last year when auburn was doing their head coaching search and they couldn't get mario and they couldn't get whoever else they sort of just settled on harson it was an absolute shit show and like it was an absolute embarrassment honestly by that entire like program and athletic department um and the the consensus being like that job's probably just a little bit too big for him at auburn um so maybe he could succeed at oregon i mean obviously he's got the west coast thing going for him already uh i don't really know i i don't know how good he is on the recruiting trail but i mean he's certainly a solid football coach um and he you know he could certainly i feel confident in saying he could do better at oregon than how he's doing at auburn um not sure how much the fans would would like Harson when he first comes in, but that's a whole different thing. Uh, so yeah, I, how would you feel about that? It's same old thing. Like just, it's such a massive step down from a guy like Aranda to me that I just, I don't know. It's it's same way I feel about Campbell and Sataki, honestly. Yeah. Chris Peterson's name is being floated around. I'm not taking that seriously yet. Are yeah. you? No, no, I'm not really. Um, it would be interesting if it happens, I guess. I, I don't know. Uh, I don't really want to do the whole OKG thing, but, um, I mean, <laughs> Peterson's a good coach for sure. He, he has a great resume, so that would be interesting. Um, yeah, you know, I, I put in here Josh Gaddis as a young rising assistant. Um Mm-hmm. That would be interesting, and I, I think that, um, yeah, you know, I mean, Marcus Freeman would have been a guy I would have targeted before he got the Notre Dame job or interviewed or whatever, yeah. um, and in terms of that stuff, like, yeah, you can you can kind of look through um, those, those coordinator ranks and try to find a guy here or there, but ultimately that kind of says something about how you're looking at the Oregon job and, and maybe it's something you just have to do because frankly, you know, this list isn't that long that we have and, and there's more names. If you want to go check out scoop duck, um, Jay hop has, has, is, has great updates out there already. And I'm sure that as always, he's probably going to be, you know, the first one to report this stuff and have the best scoop. So I, I definitely, you know, this is one of those things where if you can do it, that's the place you want to be. Um, 
but you know there is a longer list yes but in terms of like we named really those three in in aranda kiffin and kelly and aranda you know can you get them if you miss on aranda you kind of have question marks with the immaturity of kiffin and for whatever reason kelly says no or or you don't want to retread that one uh it's it's back to the drawing board a bit right um yeah and so maybe you have to reach for a a rising assistant even if they're not you know don't have a ton of head coach experience and just hope that they're a hit um but you know like we said oregon's a good job man there's there's Mm -hmm. you know 15 programs that can reasonably say that they want to win a national title and oregon's one of them so you know yeah should be a good place for a good candidate couple others i i would be like i'm trying to think of the things i would be excited about if they happened um maybe if like matt rule and joe brady both came uh current head coach and oc of the cart of the sorry carolina panthers well brady Uh, just got let go yeah yeah that's true but i mean obviously they're both familiar with each other so maybe if that was in tandem i could I could kind of entertain that idea, but I mean, who else is out there, man? Like, again, like you say, if we get past that sort of three or four with Campbell, like Jeff Halfley's name has to be mentioned somewhere in there. Like, do you interview a guy like Dan Mullen even? No. I mean, (laughs) I would not like that though, (laughs) but again, we don't really get to pick and choose at this point. Um, so I don't know. Maybe we'll put together like a power ranking or something like that. But for now, we gave you those three or four at the beginning. Um, anything else? <laughs> no, I think I think we got it pretty much locked in there, huh? I think I think that was good. What little under two hours? Um, yeah, quick one forty-five. Yeah. 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 All right, man. Um, good work. That was not fun but it was um i don't know we did it uh have a good day if you're listening to this i I really hope you do i hope you're you know living your life and not getting too caught up in the world of college football like we are but um with that being said that'll do it for us go ducks yep go ducks